Hi friends, it's Vanessa Liu, your host of the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast, an authentic space to talk about life as a perfectionist in truth and love. Hello friends, today's episode is Has the Church Encouraged Perfectionism? Inside today's podcast, I have with me Elizabeth Sammons, a mother and grandmother extraordinaire and uses the rest of her time doing side jobs and volunteer work. She has been so gracious to come on the show and discuss with me the possible role the church has played in our struggle with perfectionism. For those of you brand new here today, perfectionism is a destructive habit that plays a negative role in our lives. Perfectionism holds us back and it forces us to live from a place of fear instead of love. Perfectionism lies to us by keeping us in the not enough zone because when you strive for the impossible goal of perfection, you will always find yourself in the lack. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I have some groundwork questions I wanted to ask you to start off. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you find that it's important to live in the truth? I do. I think that is necessary to be an authentic human being. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and so, you know, for you, what does that mean to live in the truth? Well, as a Christian, I have to address the spiritual aspect of it. Um, that means that I have to adhere to um, the tenets and the values that the Bible, or, or actually not just values, it's the truth that Christ taught about um, how we are with, um, where, how we are in our fallen state and, and how we need to be restored to him through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I also look at um, it, how does it, living in the truth, how does it affect me um, socially, economically, and politically? Economically, if, if I'm not making enough money, but I'm spending more than I have, I'm not living and walking in truth because I'm always in debt. Mm. It, it affects me how I'm going to research, not just what I hear, but to do a lot of um, personal research and background checks on the, and vetting on the people that I'm going to vote and um, have, have, you know, making um, laws and regulations for our society. So mm-hmm. it's always easier um, to often to feel overwhelmed and not to, to face what's really going on in society. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the truth isn't very pleasant lately. It's been very overwhelming to me, but I think in order for us to be real and to affect any form of any form of change, whether it's spiritually, um, economically, socially, physically, we we have to walk in the truth. We have to face facts and then deal with them accordingly. I could not agree more. I I totally love that. You're right. I, I agree with you on all counts. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so, you know, we, we've talked about our topic, you know, I've mentioned what it is. So I wanted to know if you can tell us a little bit about your upbringing, you know, for instance, did your family go to church? I grew up um, with a Southern mother um, and I grew up with a Midwestern father who was in the Navy. So the Navy, um, the military shaped my life. I did grow up in the church. I was brought up Southern Baptist. To say I was in the church every time the doors opened wasn't accurate, but we were there every Sunday morning and evening. We sat on the same pew. Um, um, my mom taught Bible um, excuse me. My mother taught Sunday school. I was involved heavily in the youth group. Um, church really defined and um, defined who I was. That was my life. 
Um, mm-hmm. I grew up, I was born in 60, in 70, um, 70s, while people were out using drugs, not everybody, a lot <laughs> of these kids were experimenting so forth. My whole life was the church. Um, I went to Lutheran school. I went to um, a very strict Bible college in the South. The church really defined who I was. And mm-hmm. I was brought up in a very, um, not overly strict environment, but a very, very structured. And my life and thoughts were pretty much ordained by both of my parents. So mm-hmm. it was very strict. And I struggled with guilt and shame from a very, very early age mm-hmm. because unknowingly, and I don't think it was done purposefully, but my mom would, anytime anything we did wrong, Jesus was always brought into it. Like um, if I had a bad attitude, my mother would tell me as a child that Satan was sitting on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I need to rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Or mm-hmm. what would Jesus think? I never was allowed to have anger growing up because anger was not godly. So mm-hmm. everything was always related to, um, to you know, that, that basically God was always pretty much, I felt was angry at me and displeased with me at all times. So, um, you know, I never felt, I personally, in the way I was probably brought into the world, the way my mind was wired, um, I internalized guilt and shame at a very early age, unlike my sister who didn't experience that. And I always felt that I was never enough, that I, that mm. I, that I could always be doing more, that I mm-hmm. should be doing more, that I should be reading my Bible more, that I should be praying more, that any doubt or, or thought that I had or attitude, if, you know, if I was just having a, you know, poopy attitude, my mother would tell me that Jesus wasn't pleased with me. So I grew up thinking that God pretty much didn't like me. Mm, yes, I can relate to that for sure. <laughs> um, so a lot of the things that you just described to me are definitely a part of, you know, perfectionism. And, um, you know, for you, when do you think you realized that it was perfectionism that was negatively affecting your life? Well, I, I developed an eating disorder when I was um, in seventh school, sixth grade. Um, mm-hmm. I started, I was just a, chunk, a little touch chunky. I started losing weight and then I kept losing weight and then I became anorexic and then bulimic. So it was probably, um, you know, it, a lot of it was then, but it, I went through a period of time and I also went through a period of time with drug addiction as a much, much older adult. And it was really then that I think uh, that I really started to internalize when I stepped away from the church and I, I, I didn't step away from God. And I started going to um, a lot of 12 step meetings. And even though they, mm-hmm. um, they even, they bring up God, not like, not God of my faith, not, you know, Christ and, you know, Jesus, the son of God. But I started realizing that um, unknowingly, I think the church um, creates the environment of perfectionism. And when I was really thinking about it last night, they're only perfection doesn't exist. It doesn't exist mm-hmm. anywhere. And it doesn't exist in nature. Yeah. It only exists with God almighty. And it made me think about how Satan in the garden of Eden actually came to um, Eve first. And then Eve went to Adam and said, if you eat of this fruit, you can have your eyes opened and be like God. Mm-hmm. And really trying to obtain perfection, perfection is actually a sin. And I, I, that sin was constantly used to bombard me or, mm-hmm. or to hit me over the head and to keep me in line. But, it's almost like we're trying to be like God because perfectionism is, is yes. perfectionism is different for every person, but really it is a sin. And I think it's a sin of ignorance too, um, because it's just, it's like, we're like a hamster on a wheel. We're never going anywhere. We're just mm-hmm. on the same thing. So I do, I think the idea of perfectionism started in the garden and when, when we wanted to be like God and we'll right. never be like God mm-hmm. until we can't, you know, until we're, 
we no longer have our spiritual bodies and you know we're 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 in heaven eternally so i think the church does it unknowingly and i think sometimes yeah. ministers even though they 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 go to the, the um, seminaries and so forth i think a lot of them come into that form of education with the preconceived notion of of what jesus is like or what god's like mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the ministers as they're learning what they're learning can be very arrogant and start to think that they're better than everybody else but god nowhere in scriptures are we called to be perfect mm-hmm. um, because it's an it's, it's an it's not attainable right. um, where i think basically at the end of all this to wrap it up for my thinking we're forever on the potter's wheel we're mm. ever, and the minute we're off the potter's wheel, that's when I get nervous because I want the Holy Spirit to forever convict me. I, if, if I'm not on the potter's wheel, if God is not shaping and molding me, mm. then that would concern me. Wow. You said so many, I mean, you touched on so many good things that, that I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, you know, and one, you know, I'm trying to remember all of them, but um, one was, you, you know, I grew up in the church as well. I've been in the church since I was a newborn. Like, I mean, yes. I really literally grew really. up in the church. Exactly. And, at the nursery, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was, you know, it's this, you know, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. Yes. What would Jesus yes. do? Yeah. And, and while that has good intention, because yes. we know that Jesus is our perfect example, right? Right. The point that's never really hit on is that this striving is is a very destructive thing because you're never like you said, you said the hamster in the wheel. I thought that was perfect. That is what it's like. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Well, but, no, and even in our speech, and you know, let me for intervening, I yeah. find myself using that word a lot. My mm-hmm. daughter will say, um, um, I'll, I'll text her, my daughter, who's in Oregon with her, her, um, 15 month old, um, granddaughter, my, my granddaughter. And she'll say, okay, mom, I'm working out. Um, I'll call you later. And then I'll just go perfect. Meaning that's great. But I didn't even realize how much I use that in my speech yes. on a daily basis, how much I, um, you know, I think to myself when our granddaughter or, or any child, anyone's learning a skill as they're learning, we clap and we praise them. Even if they stumble, we're not sitting there kicking them down. I'm sure there's some statistic parent, you know, people, crazy people out there that would, but we use the term perfect. I use it even when I look at my, Oh, perfect. That's perfect. 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 Mm-hmm. I hear it on the news. I hear it. You know, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's a false idea. And, it's, and I think the pressure for perfectionism is so much more placed on women than men. Yes. Um, and that's yes. a whole different bo- podcast in itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's like a whole other episode, right? Yep, um, for sure. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, now, you've shared a lot of things already about, you know, what you think perfectionism is. But if you could define it, you know, in your own words, like when you think in your mind, what is perfectionism? What, what it would mean to me, like how I would have. Yeah, like when would I feel like I'm perfect? Is that the question? Well, no, like how do you view it? Like what is the, like if you're like, oh, I know perfectionism, it's this, right? Like, so, well, for, for, yeah, for me, perfectionism would be um, that my house is always in order. Things never, like my mother brought me up, never, nothing's ever out of its place. So there's mm-hmm. never a moment where, you know, there's even, there's even dirt on the front porch, you know, well, you know, it's mm-hmm. just always, things are always in order. You are all, you're exercising every day. You're eating super well. You don't forget to take your vitamins, mm-hmm. your makeup's on, your clothes are always ironed. There are Clorox on top of it because there's no stains. Your right. shoes are clean. I mean, this is how I grew up. 
um, your children are super well behaved, your grandchildren are well behaved because they reflect, even your adult children, all their choices are really well because they reflect on how you brought them up. You have money in savings account. You mm -hmm. never make any frivolous charges. I mean, basically, you just live this very, very structured, rigid life. You don't have fun. You don't sit down during the middle of the day and watch TV. <laughs> and you never relax unless you've got something in your hands, like crocheting or knitting or, or you're drawing or you're um, working on a bill. Now, I've fallen off that wagon. But, you know, you just, we never knew how to relax. And my right. mother said when she was older, you always had to be doing something productive at all times because, Absolutely. and I quote, idleness is the devil's workshop. So that would be perfectionism for me. You know, but I don't know everything, everything. And then I made sure that I'm caught up on all my doctor's appointments and mm -hmm. there's nothing on my to-do list. Well, you, there's not enough. I'd have to be a robot and be plugging myself into a wall to recharge myself because mm -hmm. there's no way that's attainable. Yes. So see, everything that you just said, um, that's enough to drive anyone crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, when we're practicing perfectionism, we are destroying ourselves. We are beating ourselves down to try to keep this unattainable goal, you know? And right. so I, I had a follow-up question for you here. So like you mentioned, you know, make sure you take your vitamins. And I was, <laughs> that one made me laugh inside because, you know, I feel that I feel all those little pressures. And so the question is, you know, what happens? What happens to you if you don't take your vitamins? What do you do to yourself if you miss your vitamins one day? What, what well, happens? you know, I, I do a lot of negative self-talk and I'll say, you idiot. Or mm -hmm. uh, my daughter, my daughter was, um, she made a suggestion because, you know, I, I'm divorced and I haven't been in a relationship for years. And I said to my daughter, I don't feel like I can date until I get this weight off that I've gained. When I was using, I was very thin. Then I gained weight. I've lost some weight and I put some back on and back and forth. And she goes, mom, you deserve to just have someone like just now to be happy now. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm unhappy, you know, in a miserable sort of way, but I always feel like, well, I can't do this or I can't eat this or I couldn't even possibly wear that dress or have that parachute. So I always, um, you know, I, I live kind of like with a baker, ugly brown paper sack over my head because mm. God forbid you show too much joy or you're too proud of yourself when you're overweight. And that was a huge thing in my family too. Oh yeah. Um, and, and you know what? I just thought of it when we're living like this, we're not living in love. And I, I will right. always say I'm a loving, compassionate person. I am to everybody else, but I'm not to myself. So if I'm in, if, if I'm called to be a servant, how can I serve anybody when I'm despising my own self every day? Exactly. That is a, that is a great point. And that's, you know, something I said earlier was that when we are in perfectionism, when we're practicing that we're living from a place of fear instead of love. And, and it's, you know, that's just not, I mean, you can just say right off the bat, that is not a healthy place to be. Um, right. Even, uh, even, even if you're not a Christian, it's not healthy, but the Bible, mm -hmm. Jesus says that, um, or I think it was apostle Paul that says, see, and I'm already going, well, don't you remember which one it is? I'm saying that to myself <laughs> yeah. in my brain. Perfect love casts out fear, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, I, where it says, you know, that neither death nor life will ever separate us from the love of God. Yes. Um, Jesus, you know, when you look at scripture, look at the gospels, he didn't beat, he didn't beat people up over the head. He, he, he just loved, loved them and love and acceptance, um, propels us to change. Shame and guilt keeps us hidden in, in the dark places. And I think it's a tool mm -hmm. of, of the adversary to keep us down. Yes. And while I know all this logically, 
safety. I can talk it, but then I can hang up, hang up, you know, from this podcast and start looking around this, everything I need to do today. And I have to go, well, I can't believe you didn't do that for the refi. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been asking you and why didn't you get on? And, and so, and then it's just, it's, you know, we can say it, but it, uh, am I internalizing it? And that's what I have to practice. Like those baby steps. Yes. After me. Little, and it's little for me, it's baby steps every day. Cause I, mm-hmm. I know it, but I forget it, you know? Absolutely. And you know, you just said something about how Jesus was so, he was so loving and he was accepting. Um, but you know, I, I there's also that, um, aspect that we were speaking about before this recording yes. was that he was always correcting. Um, yeah. but you know, something you said earlier about the, the potter's wheel, that's his correction. And as long as we are on that potter's wheel and we're saying, okay, mold me and make me, then we are making the progress that we need to make, you know? And, um, that's an encouragement that I, I will say to myself, because just like you, um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can talk about this and, and know a lot, but yeah, the internalization, um, takes a lot of practice. And then we pass it on to our children unknowingly, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would see my mother was, my mother was thin. She was a beautiful woman. See, and you know, the thinness, I, I, I I will tell people all the time, oh, I was, they look at my picture and say, oh, you look nice. Well, that's, well, I gained weight since then. I always make like thin, thinness was the perfection in our family, like how much you weighed. And it's, it's so, it's just so ridiculous, you know, but I looked at my mother getting ready for church and she would get nervous and upset. And she was a beautiful woman. She'd say, Oh, you got girls. I need you to leave the room. You're making me nervous. And, um, it's just, Oh, Mm. I just, everything, you know, it's, it's almost comical. Um, how, you know, we, we, you know, it's the lies unknowingly. And, and, and it's not that I'd like, it's it's not that we knowingly are passing down this destructive, but it's generational um, uh, lies. And this generational need to be perfect, perfect is very destructive and it keeps people from attaining their best or excellence. Yes. Yes. And, and that was, that was another definition, right? It hinders us. It holds us us back. Even though we're striving to be better and better and better, we're actually weakening ourselves. And sometimes it's okay just, I think, just to say, you know what? This is what I did today. This is what I did. Like, you have to look, like, if someone's like, when I was in a deep, dark state of depression, like, when I went to visit my daughter from in in Oregon, I totally forgot to bring my antidepressant pills or my medication. So, like, for three weeks, I've been off it. So, now I'm starting over. Okay, so now I'm having to like start over for a medical blood level. And I'm thinking, okay, um, we all have different starting points. And I'm patient with everybody else. I'll applaud all my friends, my women friends who've never written a check on their life. And I'll applaud them. But then I come home and beat myself up. So mm. we all come from different starting points. And I think we, it's okay for sometimes, it's okay to not always think, why do, what do we have to be better? Why is it okay just to be? Do we yeah. take a newborn infant as he's developing and he's on the potter's wheel, he's just developing its space. And we think, well, well, he didn't do this today or she didn't do this today. We just embrace them. And I think our heavenly father does that. Yes. And it probably makes him sad to think, why, this is my child. Why, why can't they just be, a, you know, be happy with what I kind of equipped them with? Mm, yes, I, I agree. So, you know, going back to the church here, because that's what we, we want to right. talk a little bit about right. that. You know, we, we've already agreed that we think, even if it was unknowingly, right. um, I believe that the church, at least in my life, has 
cultivated a rich soil yes. for perfectionism to grow. Which is like the weeds. Yes. Right. So, you know, can you share a story or like a personal example of when you recognized, oh, wow, like I, di- I have this thought or I have this belief because the church told me this? You know, well, oh, uh, what? Well, okay, that I could not be angry. That anger was a sin, mm-hmm. and so anytime, well, because I grew up hearing Helen Brimstone from the time I was little, and I used to get up in the middle of church and go to the bathroom and throw up. It was always hell, oh. hell, 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 oh. um, constantly hell. You know, and and then and then you know. So um, I think I think backtracking. I think it's used as a form of control because mm-hmm. if you can keep people afraid fearful. I don't want to come to Jesus or I mean, I'm not, I want, I don't want someone to love me or want to be around me because they're afraid of me and they're afraid of what I'll do to them. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to come over and spend time with them. And I think that right. must, it, you know, grieve the heart of God, but it's, um, I, when I realized anytime I felt angry, I, I was taught and I think you know, I was taught that I, that, that anger was sin. So I internalized it. it tur- a lot of anger, a lot of depression is anger t- turned inward. And, um, I never felt that I could speak my mind mm-hmm. and then it never, it took me being in my forties before I could really say or set any boundaries. I felt as a Christian woman that I had to constantly do, 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 give, 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 let people, you know, rob me blind, keep lending money, keep doing, doing to the point of exhaustion. I didn't learn boundaries because I was taught that to be a Christian meant you weren't angry and you were forever a servant. Mm-hmm. But you can't be a servant unless you're taking care of yourself. Your car can't go the distance unless you're keeping it up, you know, yes. new tires, brakes and all that. But that's, I know that's what I was, I was taught at an early age. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, uh, one of the, the biggest struggles that I've had is, you know, the church seems to say, Jesus saves and, you know, Jesus loves you. But then the other message is, you know, you're a filthy rag. And yes, yes. And, yes, you're and, and it's like, and it goes back there where you're feeling like, oh, oh, I'm unworthy. Oh, Lord, thanks for loving me. But it, it really, for me, it blocks God's love. It does because it's like, you know, and I've done this even in my life in relationships with men. I put myself down and I put myself down. And I know if I'm around a man or a woman who's constantly putting themselves down, it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You either, you know, we're told that we're creating his image. Now, if we're creating his image and he loves us, but at the same time, we're a filthy rag, you know, the God, you know, we're, we're like, the, you know, he saved the wretch like me, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, and I think a lot of that comes out of the historical, um, historically, you know, the Puritan movement. Um, and if you look at how the church was historically, you know, from, you know, from not being able to wear bright colors from the Amish, I mean, it, everything we do and think has a lot of historical roots with us unknowingly uh, being aware of it. But yes, we never, I've never got the feeling that God was just pleased with me, that he right. liked me. I, I love, but I never felt that God liked me. And I only felt like God liked me if I read my Bible every night. And yes. I, God forbid that I didn't read it. If, if I started in Genesis and I switched to Matthew, I felt guilt. I mean, I was super, super strange. I mean, everything had to be so methodical. Oh, and, I know. Um, I just never, I never, and you know, it just hit me and it almost makes me want to cry because I, it just hit me today, right this second. I never felt like God liked me or delighted in me. Mm-hmm. I always felt like he tolerated me because mm-hmm. he was God and that was what he had to do. And right. it just hit me now. 
and it makes me very sad. Well, you know what? I, um, it's funny because most of the things you've said, I'm like, wow, we're, we're very, very, very similar. Um, yeah. Even that, uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I still, even yesterday, like as recent as yesterday, I still struggle with the idea that God loves me. Um, right. And it's because of all those mixed messages that we're taught. Um, so, you know, I go to the word and about the filthy rag thing, that is part of scripture. But see, we're not meant to go back to the old and continually punish ourselves for something that Jesus has set us free from. And right. so that, that's where it's very unhealthy. Um, right. I had something here I wanted to share. You know, when you focus on life before you were saved by the blood of Christ, you put your mind in the hand of the enemy. Um, when you constantly live in shame and guilt, you are beaten down and nothing you accomplish ever means much because That's once it has been accomplished, your guilt and shame are there waiting for you. Right. Um, you know, and it's not that we need to only focus on the love God has for his children because God is more than love. You know, he is love, but he's more than that. Um, but it's the new life that we have in Christ that right. never seems to be nourished in the church. You know, it's, it doesn't seem to be nourished. Um, you're it's still not. And, it, and I, it's, it's not. It's always, you know, and if you grow up in, a, like, you know, now there's churches like evangelical churches or there's non-denominational churches. But, like, even the Catholic church. And, I mean, the, um, there's a lot of, you know, guilt, 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 guilt. My joke is that I... You know, I, I always said I should be Jewish and Catholic because my friends that are Jewish, they were brought up with a lot of guilt constantly and in the Catholic. And my mother said, you know, she used to say to me, even Jesus Christ couldn't get along with you when, she, when I was little. And I think well, oh. Jesus can't get along with me, then who can? But I don't, it's, we need a massive revolution. Mm -hmm. It can't be just all love and rainbows and mm -hmm. acceptance. There has to be a balance of, of, you know, Truth. it can't just be, you know, it just can't be name it and claim it either. Mm -hmm. And there's, and I think in the church, there's not much of a balance. It's so you do find your churches. I know that your, your husband's a minister and I'm sure he strives mm -hmm. towards that balance. And yes. I know that you, you strive towards that balance with your girls, but you see such extremism and you see it a lot in the red States and the South, you see it. Um, and I, and it's just traditional and I don't, um, that's why I think so many people, why would anybody want to come to somebody and, and, and accept, why would anybody want to go to church or spend time? with a creator that's always angry at you. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, I feel like, um, just is the church in general, it feels like you're still shamed for your sins, yes. even yes. though the church might preach forgiveness. And right. I believe, like you said earlier, I believe they do this out of their own fear and misunderstanding of what yes. God has for them and all of his people. Uh, they, they want people to continue to come to church, continue to be good, you know, quote unquote, good Christ-like people. Um, but they don't teach you the importance of knowing your Bible and you cannot know God unless you read his word. Like I, Correct. I've never been more convinced of that in my entire life. And so, you know, the good thing is, is that my struggles within the church and even though, like you said, my husband is a minister, um, he's, he's the worship pastor, but, um, my struggle within the church has just been, um, a motivator to learn of God on my own. Right. One thing I wanted to share with you 
and I'm going to get emotional about this, oh. is because when I shared with you that I was struggling with addiction, with methamphetamine, and I was a Christian, I'd been brought up in it, and I did, did it to lose weight. And, you know, I wasn't out, it doesn't matter what I was, why I was using it. And you never once ever told me that I needed to stop. You never mm -hmm. once used scripture ever. Mm -hmm. You didn't even mention scripture to me. You just loved me and you made me feel like I could talk to you. And here oh. I was thinking to myself, but you don't know what that means. Um, because most people, there's people in the church that struggle with addiction and alcoholism and, mm -hmm. and sexual addiction. And, and, and so they just feel like they've got to die. And I know these people, I know they're in the churches, but they stay away from church. So just like Eve hid from God because she was afraid and felt shame. Mm -hmm. Shame never propels us to change. And right. because you didn't, you didn't shame me. You didn't beat me over the head. You continued to reach out to me. You never mentioned it. You never said, you just said, oh, do you want to buy some oils? Do you want to do this? Do you do that? You never said, oh, are you clean and sober today? And because <laughs> of that, that was instrumental in my getting clean. And oh. I want to, and, and then on top of it, here you have, and I, I'm going to laugh. I have this minister's wife who has this great hair. I've colored my hair every color of the rainbow <laughs> and has this great hair and her children are doing these great, silly, wacky little things on, um, you know, you know, on, on Instagram, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, here you have a minister's wife who is not hiding behind the cloak of perfectionism, mm -hmm. but she's talking about her struggle with it. So you became just Jesus with skin on for me. And I just <laughs> want to thank you for that. Well, that's, that really makes me happy that that blesses me. And I, I so appreciate that because, you know, I mean, I, I don't really know that. And, you know, I, I don't know. That just really means a lot. Thank you so well, much. Of course. And that's what we need to be. We see, I, I one time went up to this minister. He was, he was a treat, uh, not a minister. He was a street preacher in San Francisco. And he was screaming about how Jesus talked about hell and damnation. And I went up to him and I said, sir, you know, I'm sure God, I'm sure Christ talked about, you know, sin. I don't think it was his main, I mean, um, hell wasn't his main theme. I said, but I think he would reach far more of these addicts and these homeless people and these people struggling with just daily existence and their own sin if you worked in a stoop kitchen. And he, and he literally told me that I wasn't a believer and he was very angry. And I think a lot of times ministers themselves are struggling with fear of perfectionism. So they put that on their flock because they don't, they never felt any love or acceptance. Right. And I wonder how many ministers, and then when you have ministers, like even like Joel Olstein, he's a blessing to me. When he's not screaming hell and damnation, then you have other ministers and you have other churches putting him down saying that he's not a man of God. So mm -hmm. it's just this vicious cycle. We need both. Yeah, you know, we do. We can't, always be kicked. we can't always be kicked down, you know, you're, you're totally right. And I think that is a great spot to end on is that we need but, both. And you know what? I'm going to say it again, because it needs to be said the way we're going to learn is by connecting with God in his word, because yes. he's not going to keep us in the dark about how right. to live. He wants us to commune with him. That is why he created us. And um, back to what you were saying about like, I don't, I don't think um, God's ever delighted in me. It's, that's a lie from Satan. And, you know, that's true. Cause I delight my grandchild. She brings me so much joy, but I never would think for a raw second, a, run, a red hot second that Jesus was really like tickled with me that he uh -huh. just was like, I am so thrilled with this creation of mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he is. And I have to remind myself, I, I once became a parent, 
I started to realize slowly that God wasn't as angry as me as I thought he was. But yes, we, God does. The Bible says he delights in us. Yes. Yes. And, and we, we can't throw that away. We can't no, just we can't. ignore that part. But see, so, Satan, that's Satan, really quickly. That is Satan's greatest ploy. He doesn't have to have us out there using drugs or robbing or killing or shooting or racist. All he has to do is to get us to where we feel that we're not worth anything. And now we're going to be, now this power that we have in us is like blowing, we don't, you know, we can't let our light shine. We're so powerful. Mm -hmm. And we're, he wants us to feel ashamed of being, a, we should not be ashamed of the power we have in Christ Jesus. That's and right. how much greatness that we have. It's okay mm -hmm. to know that we're great because of God, you know? Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And the way that we are going to share his love and light with people is by not letting that guilt and shame stop us. Right, right. Um, and yeah, Satan likes to isolate us and make us feel like we're alone and that we're unworthy. And I think his greatest weapon is, is attacking our mind. Yes. Um, yes. That's true. And I and, have to remember that when I hang up from this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I said it, but you know, now do I, I got to walk the walk, you know? Yeah. And so, you know what? Say a prayer that God will help you to remind yourself of that. And he will. He will. He will. He will. Well, so thank, thank you, you so much. Oh, thank, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And I'm sure you'll do great with the rest of your guests. Thank you, Kylie. <laughs> You're so welcome. All Have right. a great time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast opens the conversation to the contents of my book, You Don't Have to Be Perfect. We uncover and remove false beliefs that hold us back and focus on living in the truth. Thanks for being with me today. Let's keep practicing saying no to perfect and yes to truth. Take care.